Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. the great college basketball venues in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud for Rapid Reaction. Number one, we had a nice lengthy preseason giving you coverage here, there, and everywhere leading up to the flyer season. But alas, fair listener, we are here. Night one in the books, dating a winner. 27 point win they did not cover the spread for all you betters out there but a 73 46 final was the result we got on edwin c moses boulevard for a rather packed house it did seem all the tickets get sold doesn't mean they all get used but just the same there was a packed house at ud arena for that one slow start for the flyers and then they got going um it went pretty quickly from uh, why is this game so close to, hey, they might cover a 31-point spread in the course of maybe like five minutes, definitely four minutes of game time. So this game shifted pretty quickly. Uh, it, you know, went, uh, it, it's, I think the second half, there was kind of a lull. We'll get into all the little nitty gritty, small bits and pieces uh, about this game. But, uh, you know, the, the quick summary for all of you out there was that um, the first half is probably a little bit too close. I think they were sleepwalking through the beginning of the second half and then comfortably put Lindenwood away to the point where if you read the score in the newspaper or wherever you get your information the next day, you'd probably think it was a bit of a blowout. And I am here to say it really was not that way. Joining me for rapid reaction number one tonight for you guys is our buddy Dukes from Barstool Sports running it back. It's good to have you on the program again today, man. What, what were you looking forward to the most tonight? You know, because you're you're a big hype guy and and you like the hype. But what were you specifically looking forward to uh, with the game tonight? I think it was pretty obvious for any Flyers fans out there. What we're looking forward to, or what we're looking out for, is who is going to fill the role for Malachi and who is going to be the uh, the starter. Was it going to be Mike? Were they going to go big? So seeing Mongo Mike at the start there play exceptionally well in his first collegiate start was a uh, promising and something that the flyer faithful uh, can look forward to this year no doubt about it and uh, that's going to be my my number one takeaway here in just a moment before we get there uh you know we wanted to open the show tonight with a little bit of housekeeping now uh, it's not lost on me that it's week one for everybody you know it's week one for dad trying to find his way into the arena uh it's week one for navigating traffic uh there was mobile parking passes this year a little bit of a, a new thing people don't like that um, week one for the guys on the court, the coaching staff, and for your boys here podcasting, it's it's week one of the regular season, and it's week one for you fans on Twitter. So I just wanted to level set real, just real quickly here before we get into it. All takes here on this podcast, rapid reaction or not, you know, I'm a seasoned vet out here. I used to get really fired up after certain games, and I'm not going to promise that I won't throughout the course of this season. 
but I saw way too much of what I like to call the relax guy on Twitter, okay? And relax guy was everywhere. There was probably like five to 10 of you relax guys out there on Twitter. Like, relax, man, we're playing Lindenwood. So I just wanted to set the stage here. Night one, rapid reaction number one. We're not going to say boring crap on this podcast. We're just not going to do it, all right? We're always going to be compelling. We're always going to give you the real facts. And sometimes I'm even going to give you the inconvenient truths. So I just wanted to start there. I think we all, you know, we, we can start this podcast with a nice level head. Flyers win by 27, take care of business. It wasn't necessarily pretty, but we can move forward with a general understanding that all observations are simply observations about what's going on, on the floor. Not They're not personal shots at any of your favorite flyers, okay? So I think, Dukes, I wanted to get that out of the way mm-hmm. because I think you saw a little bit of it too. There was relax guy was everywhere tonight. It's telling well, everybody. Yeah. I saw you, so my friends in my group chat were saying the same thing. So setting the stage was you were talking about how a walk-on basically got onto the court and you're like, oh, we're doing yeah. this again. There we which go was again. a which which was a reference to what what was that a year ago, two years ago? Yeah, Christian got, Wilson. Had, yeah, yeah, he's playing a little bit too much too many minutes. I mean, the main, main takeaway is we're playing Lindenwood again. So if it's the difference between Brady Ewell playing and taking some minutes away from our guards or having Kobe Brea play when he's a little bit injured against Lindenwood, I'd rather have Brady Yule go in for those couple of minutes, get Kobe a little bit healthy. Um, clearly, that AG thinks that Brady can go in the game, not turn the ball over, and can just kind of you know jog around out there. That's like, it. I don't think that Brady Yule, Dayton guy, loves his flyers. I'm not necessarily sure if Brady Yule's like, yeah, like I want to play big minutes against Kansas. Yeah. I think that he's probably like, I want the best guys on the court. If it happens to, me, to be me, I'll do it. But I think he wants Kobe Bray out there just as bad as any uh, flyer, flyers out there, or uh, Malachi, obviously. So you're, you're saying he's got a next man up type of uh, mentality? Yeah, like, yeah. like I think that he was. I think he was just out there just to be like the next guy up. Like he's just out there to jog around, not turn the ball over, kind of like rest. Let the, let the other guys rest. Um, he didn't do anything bad. I mean, if he's playing, what he got? How many minutes did he get tonight? Did that come out yet? Uh, yeah, all, all of the box score is out now. He ended up getting uh, 11 minutes tonight. Okay, so if he gets 15 in the Bahamas, we're going to have a real problem. We're, we're going to have that, another discussion. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll have another discussion. If we keep it under 10 in the Bahamas, I, I'll, 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 like, I'll be on the I'll, – I'll lead the Brady Yule uh, fan club because I don't think that like, he's going to do anything detrimental to the team. No, and, and that's that's exactly right. That's kind of where the discussion started tonight because I got like, relax, man, it's Lindenwood. And I was like, okay, listen, um, I've been doing this for long enough that like I understand there are games when there are legitimate concerns to cuss and discuss. This game is not one of them, all right? We were going to walk away from tonight for better or worse with a couple of things that we liked, a couple of things that we didn't like. But at the end of the day, you get these buy games on the schedule because before you can get the tires moving at full speed, you got to shake the mud off, all right? So that was that was the origin of, of the show opening tonight, was that we're all very relaxed here, people. I promise, all right? There's going to be nights when I'm not as relaxed, and I'll give you the brutal, honest truth, but tonight's not one of those nights. So where I stand, definitely can start the on-the-court discussion there tonight, dude, because I appreciate you bringing this up. But we did do the walk-on thing uh, last year, or was it, it – I think it was two years ago, man. It was two years I, ago. I think it was. Yeah, these these last couple of years have blended together in my head. Um, but we did the Christian Wilson thing because they didn't have guys that were ready and willing and able, and AG didn't trust them. You know, we went through all the coach-speak talking points, right? So tonight, we saw Brady Yule come out, walk-on again, 
pretty capable walk on. I think you saw, like you said, didn't make any huge mistakes. But the issue that I have with it on night one is kind of the same point that the other side makes. Like, oh, well, it's Lindenwood. Who cares? Well, frankly, if we are are agreeing here that we're going to have to play more games without Brea and Malachi Smith, which I think is what we are all expecting right now. Um, I think Malachi's close. I think still him playing in Thanksgiving is 50, 50. I still have no idea what's going on with Brea. Uh, It's just kind of like this non-disclosed injury, but they say he's going to be back soon. So here's where I'm at. If he's playing tonight as a spot fill 11 minutes, just get somebody warm body on the court to give guys a breather. That's totally fine. All right. But if there is an expectation from the coaching staff that these two guards, I'm talking about Malachi and Brea, are going to be out for any amount of time moving forward, any amount, we need to use these games, Lindenwood, to figure out what capable lineups we can put on the floor in their stead. Brady Yule, okay, I love him. He must be a nice guy because I got some pushback on Twitter. Okay, and again, that's why I said when we should show up and see him coming full circle. This is not a personal attack on walk-ons. I respect walk-ons more than anybody. But he's not a part of this present team's success on the floor. He's not a part of the team's future. Okay. He's a walk on. That's why he doesn't have scholarship. All right. So let's figure out the other lineups that are going to be productive for the Dayton Flyers until we get those guys back. And again, all of this can be washed away if Malachi and Bray are going to be back like by Friday. I do not think Malachi is going to be back by Friday. I think Brea still does have a chance to be back by then. But you kind of see my point here, Dukes. It's like if it's night one and, and we're we're shaking off the mud from the tires, we need to figure out what those other lineups are that we can trust because it does seem to me, average viewer and fan with podcasts, that we're going to have more games where we need to sub some guys in and get minutes. Right. So that was my whole – that was kind of where I was leaning to. So I've been big on thinking about the big lineup that we could possibly have. So I'm thinking like Mon- Mike at the one – Got RJ at the two. You could probably put like Azimi or Mustafa at the three and then Tumani and Duran. So when I saw Brady come in, I was thinking, okay, this gives me more confidence that Kobe or another guard is going to be back in time for Friday or they would have worked those rotations in more. So that made me probably give me like a 95% hope that we'll see Brea against SMU. That's what it told me personally, but I do hear you and get what you're saying because it was frustrating too because I wanted them to try out some rotations Obviously, I couldn't see the exhibition game, so I don't know if they're trying it out there. But it seems to me that they're like, hey, like Kobe's going to be back. Let's just kind of give Brady his minutes, probably a little bit fewer, obviously, but let him fill in rather than try out all these lineups. Yeah, and and there was some head-scratching things tonight. I think when I have these types of games, when I'm kind of being overly critical, because let's be honest, like, if you're really looking at like the nuts and bolts against Lindenwood, like you're probably doing it a little bit wrong, but for the sake of, you know, putting together a good show and like, what were the nitpicky things um, in the game tonight? You know, one of the things I always go back to, and and this is more specifically for Anthony Grant, like his early season struggles are, are well-spoken for, and they're not necessarily consistent from game to game as we saw last year, right? Flyers one and three, they go to the Bahamas, they beat Kansas. And then, you know, in other years, like think back dudes to the Obi Toppin year, they mm-hmm. struggled night one to beat Indiana state. Then they struggled against North Texas, like a couple of weeks later. And and I'm just saying this because the, this it's, it's kind of an overall struggle with grant, like early on in seasons, we tend to see this. We, we see sloppy basketball. We see teams trying to get into their rhythm 
And, and frankly, that's kind of what I saw here to begin the game. Um, Dayton was trying to run their offense. You could see they were running their sets. They were moving the ball around a lot. And it, it almost gets frustrating in games like this because this is why Lindenwood's on the schedule, right? Run your offense, try and true. If you're making mistakes, no big deal. But there got to a point in the game where I was like, just dump the ball down low and score two. Get out and transition. Let's get back to the basics to just wipe the floor with Lindenwood and get out of here. And it was weird because the first four minutes of the game, I thought that Dayton played really well. I mean, they really came out of the gate hot. People were shooting, spreading the ball around. And then Grant goes to the bench and subs them out. And it's like, this is night one. They don't play again till Friday. Just let these guys play. We don't have to get into this, like, you know, two minutes here, giving them a rest. It's like, none of that applies right now. So I wanted your take on that because I think, I don't even know if it's like an over-management of the game. I think it's just the coaching staff kind of being set in their ways to say, we're going to treat this like VCU in January. And I don't necessarily think that's the way to go about these games. Yeah, that's a fine point to make. I mean, I think that I would rather, I think that some of the benefits of the way that we play is it works against top tier talent. Yeah. Like our style of play. But then when we play low tier talent, you can kind of, we play down, then all of a sudden these games could stay close a little bit. And if we don't get really efficient on the offensive end, it doesn't turn into a blowout. You saw like Lindenwood, we were always up by 10 to 15 the entire game, but they were never really yeah. out of it, it felt like. Um, yeah, not until the last I think, couple minutes. I, I mean, also, like if we're going to talk about, this game could have been, we're talking about how it was like, kind of close. It should have been a blowout by 20 plus points and it has nothing to do with the coaching staff. I mean, Duran, Duran missed some buckets tonight that he usually, we count on him making. So he, I'm not saying that Duran played bad at all. You I mean, he had... 13 points, five rebounds, but they were kind of within our rebounding range. I think at halftime, it was like 19, 17. We need to blow a team like Lindenwood off. We need to blow them off the boards. Yeah. So yeah, and that then, was something for, yeah. And then, the, the, and then the struggle three last year, remember? Yeah. And then we're looking at the three point shots. Like we didn't knock down. I think until the late in the second half, our only two makes of the game were the first two shots of the game. So yeah. if we want Deron to be effective, like he needs to kick it out to the three point land. And we need to make down shots if we want to be successful this year and, and expand the court. So that was something I was just looking for in the game. Didn't really happen tonight. Still got the dub, obviously, but we're going to need to knock down the three ball against SMU if we want to win. Yeah, I think what uh, tonight did was uh, while we completed the task in hand, which was winning by a lot, and Dayton did do that. They won comfortably when all was said and done. I think, you know, when the game is the outcomes never really um, in question, uh, you just start to look at what are the things that Dayton can take away and uh, learn from and what, you know, what do they have to work on before Friday? And because this is our first week on the radio, you're going to find out that answer on the other side of the break. You're listening to the rapid reaction after the Flyers beat Lindenwood right here on Talking Out Loud, wherever you listen to the podcast and on 1410 ESPN Radio in Dayton. Welcome back. This is, again, Rapid Reaction number one on Talking Out Loud and 1410 ESPN Radio in Dayton. Wherever you're listening to us, we welcome you back into the show. I have Dukes alongside me from Barstool Sports breaking down night one. Flyers 27-point victors against Lindenwood. 
And so Dukes, you know, pivoting the discussion just briefly tonight is what are those three things that, that Dayton has to work on before Friday? Uh, I'll give you my three and then you rattle off what you think. Um, for me, I, I think uh, number one is going to be the outside shooting. And then, frankly, this is kind of too, too simplistic, but it's really true tonight. The Flyers missed a lot of bunnies. You said it right before the break. Um, for whatever reason, what it was Duran, it was Tamani, it was RJ, it was Amsel. It felt like everybody was missing close buckets uh, in close range. And it was kind of weird tonight because Lindenwood was rolling out a lineup that was no taller than 6'7", which, again, you know, that's those are the kind of games that you want Dayton to just dominate with the amount of size that we have. Um so I hate to say it so obviously, but inside shooting, you know, within five feet of the bucket and then the three point shooting, I think both need to improve uh, against SMU. And then, you know, one that we talked about last year uh, was turnovers. First half, not great. Second half, they kind of cleaned up their act there. Uh, but I think the third thing they, they need to figure out here is what is the rotation on Friday night? Who are we going to stick it out with for 35 minutes? You know, who's going to give you five minute breathers? Because you're right. They they kind of spread the bench a little bit. I mean, you know, you got Zimmy, Amsel, and then Brady Yule were the first guys that were coming off the bench tonight. Um, you know, the Flyers just have to figure out how to make that eight man rotation work or nine. If you uh, assume that that's. Um, that Bray is going to come back. But, you know, I, I think tonight it was kind of the same thing we saw last year coming out of the break. Um, and this is, this is my last one coming out of the break. I thought they were, they were lackadaisical and they, they really just weren't focused in that beginning of the second half, which kind of turned into like a lull. And that was why the game was around 13 to 17 for a long time there. So I think shooting across the board needs to be improved. And then I think that killer instinct coming out of the second half just has to improve against a team like SMU because, you know, Lindenwood's not going to hit you with a 10-0 run, but a team like SMU should. So, Dukes, your you're three things, three takeaways to work on before Friday. Three-point shot for sure. Um, also, one one thing that it's not a knock on Mike at all, just I want to see him do more on the, the defensive end. He looked a little like he was getting blown by a little bit, so just seeing yeah. him work so he can stay on the floor for his production on the offensive side because, you know, with, with the date, with how we play, we need – people that play offense and defense. So just seeing him do a little bit more on uh, the defensive end. So just three-point shooting, Mike's defense, and then probably just gr- grabbing more rebounds because we're not playing Lindenwood. You know, yeah. We're playing SMU. So yeah. Let's, yeah. Let, let's clean that up a little bit. And uh, yeah, I totally agree with what you were saying. I think one of the things that we talked about in the offseason was obviously the expectations this year is the tournament, right? And yep. there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. People say that we're a young team, which is technically true, and I don't don't doubt that. No, but it's a veteran young group, right? Yeah, it is. So what we had in 2019-2020 was we were a veteran group that was old. You know, Obi was a 21-year-old, two-year player. This team is sophomores, juniors that are youngish, and I think that you saw the second half that they got a little bit cocky. They're like, we're going to blow by this game, and then that let Lindenwood come in. So that was a, a good point that I thought you made. At the beginning of the second half, I thought their youth showed again. And it's being able to maintain a lead and not give a team hope again. Yeah, and speaking on the youth thing, you know, if you're if you're still out there and you're kind of doing this whole like, oh, we still got like a lot of underclassmen. It's like, okay, let me let me you know put something out there for everybody. Besides Mongolian Mike, just about everybody that's going to get minutes on this team has played at least thirty games of collegiate action to this point. Kobe Elvis was in his 50-something game. I want to say 52, 53 as far as games played uh, going into tonight. 
Tamani Kamara just played his 92nd game in college basketball. RJ Blakeney is now in his third season of college basketball, third full season. So there really isn't like an inexperienced aspect to this team. It's not even really a talking point anymore. And furthermore, this team has a full season under their belt of playing with each other with Mongolian Mike, basically the only exception that we're talking about right now. And frankly, if we're really getting down to it, because my next question was going to be, you know, what were the three things that you love to see tonight? I mean, I have a hard time saying that Mongolian Mike was not our best player tonight on both sides of the floor. What say you? Yeah, I don't agree with that. Uh, I, yeah, I really he had concerns on defense. Definitely. I, yeah. I, I really, I really was concerned with, he was getting blown by pretty easily on defense. I mean, yeah. obviously his production on the offensive end speaks for itself. He's got great floor vision, comfortable for the game. Transition and especially too. we're talking about game one too. So like, I'm not yeah. like I'm nitpicking here. His That's what I said. That's why great. I calmed yeah. down the relaxed guy when we started. All right. Yeah. It's you just, know? it's just, I think that the way we play, like we might see him, I think that a casual fan might be like, why is he not getting more minutes? It's going to be like, well, because he can't play it on the defensive end when Malachi comes back or something, which is definitely a possibility. I was very impressed to see what Kobe Elvis did tonight, how many ways he can score, uh, create plays. Yep. And then RJ Blakeney getting it done on both ends. But I, I got to say, he didn't do too much tonight in terms of uh, like the stat sheet, but I, I really I really think that Tumani might be our best player. Really? Um, too much. Yeah, I, really, I really think so. Just last year and this year, I've just kind of came to the realization that like he just looked the way that he carries himself on the floor. I, I really think that he might be our best player this year. He's just, well, I will say that um, he has all the skills, but he doesn't consistently show them. And I think that's where people get frustrated with him because everybody knows he's like one of the best players in the A10, but he takes plays off, you know, taking a pass underneath and then missing a bunny, you know, that, that kind of crap happens all the time. You know, going into the game tonight, I said there were three things I was watching for Mongolian Mike. What's his impact and his skill set? I think he said it here. Great in transition, great vision, great passer. Kid can shoot clearly and his skill set is that, you know, he's a floor general. I think I'm starting to question already just watching 40 minutes why Kobe Elvis is not playing off the ball as the two, as the scorer, while Mongolian Mike plays the point. That seems like a fairly obvious observation to me, a non-basketball coach. I'll just park that there. But I think your point is well taken that um, you just got to keep an eye on his defense for the next couple of games here. You know, what are we going to get from him stepping all the way out 35 feet? And they did a lot of that. I would have to think they'll probably pack it in a little bit more against teams like SMU, guys that are faster. Um, but by and large, uh, you know, he was a plus on the floor. And obviously for his offense, I think going into this season, the only thing I heard about him is, you know, maybe he's not going to be strong on defense. And I think we saw that tonight. You know, anybody that's seen his game before um, had told me that. And and I, I kind of agreed. You know, I was like, all right, it's going to take us some time to to get gelled on the defensive end. The second thing I was looking for tonight was, is Duran getting easy buckets against a team that's three to four inches shorter than him? Um, didn't see it as consistently as I wanted to, but it's because they didn't really emphasize it in the game plan. The one thing I would say is concerning about just the the way they played tonight was Duran seemed to have a, a ton of trouble sealing off uh, guys to get that entry pass down low. Um, I have to kind of go back and watch a little bit of a little extra film, if you will. But it just seemed like that as I was watching the game and he was kind of having trouble sealing off to get that pass. And 
with that in mind, I mean, he's going to have to get really comfortable with that role, number one, and then number two, all the double teams. Because you saw early on in the game, Lindenwood was doing it. They were doubling down low. And, you know, you bet your ass that you're going to see a lot of that, you know, moving forward uh, this season, just like OB did in the 2020 year. And uh, the last one, I said, is the defense engaged on every possession? I felt like they were dukes. I mean, if we can take anything away from night number one here, man, it's that this team is going to win with defense. No doubt about it. Yeah, that I totally agree. It even seemed like in the first half, all the buckets that Lindenwood got, I was fine with the shots that they were making for Lindenwood because it wasn't yeah. ever an easy possession. Um, I totally agree because even if you look at Duran and like the couples that he missed and the ceiling off, I kind of liked what I saw with the double teams, the way that he was able to get it out of the post. Um, Mike kind of made them pay for that when they closed in on Duran too early. But what they were able to do on the defensive end uh, was definitely impressive. And I, I would like to see, honestly, what we get out of Zimmy this year. I, I was impressed with his minutes on the floor, uh, especially what he can do on the defensive end. Yeah, because uh, he's, he's just a long dude. You know? I mean, we're match we're a matchup nightmare for people. I mean, when you have people that are six, seven, or above that can guard all positions on the floor, really, uh, it's always a recipe for a disaster for the other team. Yeah, the the book will still be out, or um, the uh, the opinions will still be out there on Zimmy right now, um, especially because you know, we just didn't see him last year, and everybody was kind of like, "Why are we not seeing this guy on the floor?" Yeah, you know, fast forward to tonight, he gives you eighteen productive minutes. Um, he had six rebounds, seven points, stepped out and hit one from deep. It's such a unique skill set that he has that I think that's why a lot of people were scratching their heads last year saying, how are we not able to utilize this guy's skill set? So you're absolutely right. I, I want to see him get those first guy off the bench type of minutes because frankly, when you look at the depth of this team, He's probably one of the most important pieces. And I say that because Duran and Tumani, if if you get a guy like Zimmy that can sub in for either of them, that mm-hmm. really adds just another layer of personnel to the team, right? I mean, well, you could go small. If you, I mean, I don't want everyone to go small and get Duran off the court, but you can put Zimmy there to go small. You can go big. The, the amount of matchups that we can have to put teams in the blender is just it, it, it can spiral your head when you really start to think about it yeah little known thing from the game tonight i just saw coming across my screen i was looking at the box score this is bad news for all your betters out there but dayton had covered a 31 point spread at one point had no field goals in the last 250 you just hate to see that 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 could be classified as a bad beat although i won't slap that moniker on it but it, it was a tough one it was a tough one you guys almost had it I know you took the Flyers at 31 points. <laughs> yeah, I did. It was, it was tough. They gave us hope, which is the, which is killer. When, once you get, once they give you hope and then they die, uh, it's never never any fun. They but even uh, though yeah. with the uh, one, one thing that I, I'm also going to look forward to this week is, or just even this year, Mustafa has got to get his deep ball back. I mean, his, his first year, it seemed like he couldn't miss from beyond the arc. Last year, his numbers went down like, I want to say like six or seven percent, maybe below thirty-five from deep. So him getting his three-point shot back is going to be critical this year. Yeah, in addition to being a top-five hairiest player that's ever played for Dayton basketball, Musafa <laughs> uh, Amzil is one of those guys that just sparks conversation right now. And I, I hate to say this in in such a blunt fashion. No, I don't. Who am I kidding? I think Musafa Amzil was a better player before he started playing for this coaching staff, and. It's hard 
to even argue to the contrary when he came in night one, fresh off the street, literally barely had a jersey, and he scored 30 points against LaSalle in a game that we ultimately lost. You fast forward to today, and we've kind of gotten the same Amzil from the beginning of last year into tonight. He's going to be a step slow on defense. Uh, He's probably going to turn the ball over a couple of times. He might make some shots for you. He might grab a couple of rebounds, but largely you're kind of just hoping that he is a net neutral when he's on the floor. And, And again, tonight was kind of exactly that way. He played 24 minutes. He gave you 10 points. He gave you five rebounds. Generally speaking, dudes, you'd be like, well, that was a pretty good game by your boy. There. Yeah. But I just think six of those points came from the line, just level setting with people. But I think when you read off that stat line, it's like, well, you know, it was a pretty good game. But I think when you go back and you look at the X's and O's and the little stuff, I think that's why people get just a little bit up in arms about what he gives the team. Because I saw a lot of vitriol. I saw you guys on Twitter. I mean, you were taking him to task. All right. I'm not necessarily ready to say like Mustafa is, you know, not good enough to get minutes for this team. I think that his role needs to be about 15 minutes a game. And if you can hide him a little bit on defense, if he can step out and hit a three for you and not turn the ball over, I really just don't think this team needs him to do anything more than that. So my my thing on Mustafa is his first year when everyone was ready to crown him the next coming of Obi Toppin. I said, hold off on his defense. He's He really struggles on the defensive end. And then last year, I was like almost out on Mustafa. And then I saw how much effort he started giving on the defensive end. And I was like, all right, he, he's earned his minutes. What was frustrating last year was that he couldn't consistently knock down the three ball, which that's what exactly what I was saying a couple minutes ago is that I'm looking for him to do that this year. Um, he gives effort on the defensive end, but like I, it, the film just might be out on him. P- people just might have him figured out. I'm not so sure if he's declined as a player or if it's just like, oh no, they just started looking at the Finland guy now. Like they didn't have film of him in Finland. It's not like LaSalle was like, all right, get ready for this guy. But now that his, like, he's got whatever, 20 plus games under his belt um, with film, I think the secret might be kind of out on him. Yeah, that, that's a good point. LaSalle didn't have uh, any finished tape to roll back before that game. Um, it, I, I'm just getting this stat across my desk right now because I do love fun facts. Lindenwood's 46 points is the fewest scored by Dayton's opening opponent since 2002 when a Brooks Hall-led Dayton squad held Delaware wow. State to 38 points. Shout out to Sean Ferguson for that fun fact. Thank you for that one. Uh, right before we go to commercial break, there was a lot of teams in the A-10. Uh, actually, I think every team except George Washington was in action tonight, and most of them did well. But on the other side of the break, we're going to break the news to you who did not do well. And it's going to be a name you recognize. That's called a teaser, Dukes. On the other side of the break, you listen to the rapid reaction here on Talking Out Loud and 1410 ESPN Radio in Dayton. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud. Still your boy Sully leading the show rapid reaction number one here on 1410 ESPN Radio and wherever you listen to podcasts talking out L-O-W-D. My buddy Dukes from Barstool Sports still joining me on this rapid reaction date in the winter 73-46. And uh, Dukes, I think it's time for a little A-10 whip around. 14 out of the 15 teams in A-10 land were in action tonight. George Washington being 
uh, the lone team that did not give it a go on night one. But uh, some shockers right now. Uh, and I, there's only one shocker. Uh, as we're recording this, Loyola is getting taken down to the wire by Fairleigh Dickinson. Told y'all they were going to struggle in the A-10. I told you. And also, Dukes, I called it. I told Rody fans. I was telling them on Twitter. I told the people that made these preseason rankings. I said it was going to be a bumpy ride for Rhode Island this year. And lo and behold, your old pal Sully was right again. Quinnipiac goes to the Ryan Center and beats Archie Miller's Rhode Island Rams 67-62. Other than that, nothing really shocking. George Washington, UMass, Richmond all won comfortably. VCU, Davidson, St. Louis, Fordham even won comfortably. George Mason was taking on UMass, or sorry, uh, George Mason was taking on Auburn, rather, and uh, they dropped that game comfortably because, I mean, Auburn's better than them. But, uh, Dukes, I can't say I'm all that surprised to see Archie Miller take an L in, in night one, year one. I'm just not. I remember Buffalo. I was there. Okay? It's, it's just It was going to be ugly from the start, man. I don't know. What do you think Archie Miller is going to do at Rhode Island? I never got your thoughts on that. Oh, I think that he is going to turn – I think he's going to bring that program back. Um, I mean, hopefully you know how I feel about it, but hopefully that we're long gone from the A-10 and, and the Big East. But Yeah, but I think that, I think that Archie will uh, – he'll, he'll bring Rhode Island back. I think that obviously his first year or two will be a little bit uncomfortable. It's kind of just getting your guys to play hard. I think it, especially when you're a new coach with a new program trying to turn it around, I think it starts on the defensive end. So just getting his guys to buy into a system, uh, getting it done on the defensive end will do wonders for him. But I'm not surprised with him dropping to Quinnipiac. As somebody who loves betting mid-major basketball, you do, uh, yeah. I've, I, I've fallen in love with Quinnipiac as a team to bet on uh, a couple of times. So seeing them as eight and a half point dogs, wasn't really shocking, but I think Archie will ba- bounce back. Just might not be this year. Yeah, and we talked about it before we went on. Um, you know, hot takes aside, that this is a reality. When you change your regime, when you have talent turnover, when you have to bring in a bunch of guys last minute, um, you know, to fill your roster. I'm talking about like in the summertime or even in the late spring. They're just going to be losing involved. Like that's just the reality of it, and that's college basketball right now, where you're basically playing in three year windows constantly where, you know, you're gassing up for having a good year, especially in A-10 land. Like, you're gassing up to have one or two good years. You're probably going to have to take a year back, and then you reload and you give it another go. I mean, Dayton, I think, is capable of being a program that can do it three out of four years. And leads me to my next question for you, Dukes. Like, putting the Big East discussion aside, I think we have a lot of conversations, and it's a perfect one for night one to get all hypothetical on you. Um, of what the expectation is moving forward and and frankly like where can Dayton be from a consistent success standpoint I tend to think that what's good enough for me is making the tournament three out of four years now we're far away from that still but I mean what do you see as realistic like do you think Dayton can become a program that is in the NCAA tournament every year because there's not a whole lot of historical data to back that up but I also can't really argue against that being the ceiling for this program, right? It's it's very tough for me to have a strong opinion one way or the other because of the makeup of a team. So, like, 
when you're looking at this team, I didn't really expect to make the tournament two years ago because it was like all freshmen or whatever. But I'm like, now, now that we're three years in, I'm like, I expect to be like a top 15 team in the country. Sure. So it depends on how many guys leave each year, how many guys go to the portal to kind of see that. But I don't think it's unreasonable to say that we should make the tournament or at least be, you know, sweating it out every single year. Uh, but that, that begs a secondary question. I mean, with the nature of college basketball shifting to guys being able to go wherever they want quickly and without penalty in a lot of cases, it you know, people want to talk about how we're a great program and, um, you know, we have we're a respected program and, and whatnot. So to that same point, Shouldn't Dayton be in the class of basketball programs that's able to get those one-off transfers enough so that down years become few and further between, right? Stands to reason. Yeah, I think that last year, I mean, obviously the beginning of last year was shaky, but I, I don't look at the, I don't look at last year as a whole as unsuccessful by, by any means. I look at it as heartbreaking because it showed how close we were to making the tournament. I mean, if we win that second half against Richmond, there's no doubt in my mind that we win the A-10 tournament outright and that we just don't have to sweat it on Selection Sunday at all. But that wasn't what happened. We're the first team out, allegedly. Um, but I think that with a team like Dayton, too, is you're going to look at guys that stay for three or four years. And with NIL, people won't leave to go to like play European basketball or get enticed by the NBA because you can make more money with NIL. I mean, also with a team like Dayton, you look like a guy like – Let's look at like a Malachi Smith or a Kobe Bray. Someone that went off last year. Does a Kentucky start to look at them and try, try to draw them with NIL money? Does that ruin our chances for the NCAA tournament the next year? So it, it, there's a lot of what ifs in this NIL transfer portal era of college basketball. So I don't know if it's going to benefit Dayton at all or if it's going to hurt us. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And, and you hate to have a discussion where it's like, well, it could go either way, but it, it really could. It um, really could because if you have guys that stay for four years, it's like, yeah, we, we can make the tournament three out of those that guy's four years. Or if he stays for two and it's like, well, Kentucky just offered him a Porsche Lamborghini and $1 million. That's right. We're going to lose that guy. And know? I don't think that Lee's Chicken can pay for that right now. No, they can't. No, yeah. not, not with the current budget. Um, yeah. Now, the, now we're getting into donate to the well, NIL Calip- collective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> donate That's all your right. money, NIL collective. Yeah. Get out there right now. Donate. <laughs> uh, which uh, a little tongue in cheek. If this is your first show listening, go ahead back to the archives. We uh, had a spirited NIL discussion last week. Um, and my opinion uh, is well spoken for on whether or not I feel you should donate to said NIL collective. Um, as it, it often happens on the rapid reaction, and thanks for sticking with us all the way to the end. I got my buddy Duke from Barstool Sports here. I am Sully, as always, here on Talking Out Loud. Uh, but another update uh, just hit the desk. Anthony Grant said in a post game press conference that Tyrone Baker, transfer from Georgia, he will redshirt, will not play this year. Uh, the The feedback I got from practice from others. This is not, you know, words from me is that uh, he's a step slow and he's still a little bit lazy. So again, that's, that's their words, not mine. That's what I've heard probably has a lot to do with the reasons that he will not be playing this year. Um, The other one, haven't gotten any updates on Caleb Washington. Uh, He's suspended right now. And like I said, last week, Although I do not have any factual evidence to support this claim, when guys are suspended at this time of the year, more often than not, Dukes, hate to say this, 
it's the grades. It's the grades, man. You know, as somebody that got all A's, I cannot relate to that at all. <laughs> you never had to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know exactly. if you would have been eligible on AG's team yeah. in all four of your years either. No, uh, definitely not. Um, so you know, let, let's let's put a bow on it, man. You know, night one. Um, now that that we've uh, cussed, discussed, digested everything that's gone down here, night one, and um, we always talk about here before we do a podcast episode that you you write down all these notes and stuff like, here's what we're going to say and here's what we're going to go over. But it's really hard to actually put that all into a 45 minute podcast um, that's succinct and that, you know, is articulated well. So, you know, here's, here's where I'm at today. And uh, this is again, just kind of a summary of what I saw tonight. Thought that came out of the gate really well. First four or five minutes, Dayton was humming along exactly how you wanted the offense to go without Molly and Brea. And then AG made some subs and kind of took that momentum of the offense off the floor for reasons unknown. So then uh, as the second half progressed, we started to ask questions, you know, why is Brady Yule walk on getting minutes? I think the answer to that is fairly clear. It's because there's no guard depth to speak of. And last week we talked about how guard depth is the number one thing that could derail this team. You know, they got about, 91 forwards, but they got four guards. And when two of them are gone, that's going to be a big problem. So then, you know, starting the second half, I thought they were fairly lackadaisical. In the first half, I'd mentioned that Kobe uh, Elvis is finding a lot of ways to score right now. It is like the number one biggest improvement I saw from last year to this year. Brooks Hall talked about earlier in the season with us how he's the vocal leader. Looks like he's a scoring leader now, too. He's just creating a lot. You know, he's creating ways to score. Um, so then we, we got into, in the second half, Dukes, like some concern. And the concern came from, it took Dayton 50 min, or uh, 33 minutes, rather, to get to 50 points. And when you're playing a lineup of, frankly, all Juco transfers, that, that's a little bit concerning to me. Um, now, Everything got fixed. Dayton ends up winning by 27, so you don't need to belabor it much. But night one, we're going to get a little bit more nitpicky, and that's kind of what what I saw big picture. Last thing I'll end with, Dukes, and uh, you can feel free to riff on this, whatever, but we have a certified glue guy. And if you had to say who that certified glue guy is, we barely mentioned him on the podcast. That's why he's the perfect glue guy. Who would you say it is? RJ Blakeney. Absolutely. Absolutely. Night one, yeah. game one, minute one, Dukes. We got our glue guy. It's RJ Blakeney. I love it. Yeah. I love that about him. I I need to go back in the take chamber because I think that it might have been two years ago. I'm not sure if it's on this show. I'm not sure if it's to my friends, but I said Trey Landers 2.0. And I mean, he's the best defender I think we have. He's His length is bothersome. I think he can guard probably... I think he could guard any position, really, if he gets switched on to somebody. But yep. RJ is a dangerous guy. The way that he can dunk on the rim, and he's going to have some monstrous dunks this year. Um, the way that I think I think he can shoot the three ball pretty well. Uh, I, I love RJ Blakeney, MVP of the team, potentially. Like, <laughs> I like, mean, but that's the thing, though. Your glue guy is not going to be your MVP. That's why he's well, a yeah. glue guy. You but know? that's why he's my MVP. <laughs> like I, I have a thing for glue guys. I yeah. can talk myself into the glue guy being our MVP, our best player. But I mean, really, what I think this, what the success of this team really comes down to, 
figuring out the minutes, figuring out the rotations and the bench depth, how we're going to utilize them. You might be a, a glue guy at Barstool Sports, Dukes, when I think about <laughs> it. You might be yeah. their glue guy, you know? At- Everyone needs one. Exactly. Every team needs one. Every company, every team. Dare I even say he's kind of like a mashup between Mike Sell and Landers, right? Where mm-hmm. he, he exactly. has the length that, that Mike Sell had, but he doesn't have like the bowling ball aspect that Landers had, but he still does a lot of dirty work. He gives you a lot of hustle, but he can still step out and shoot the three like Mike Sell, right? So I, I do think there's a lot of merit to saying he's kind of like both of those guys. If you put them together and took some of their best qualities out and, and mashed it all up. I don't know. 1000%. Couldn't yeah. agree more actually with that take. Wrapping up with Dukes from Barstool Sports. Quick trivia tonight, dudes. They put it on the, on the pot or on the ESPN plus broadcast uh, in pure Dayton Flyers fashion. I got about 15 people on Twitter tonight talking to me about how um, the feed cut out because, you know, it's Dayton basketball season, baby. Yeah. It can't really be Dayton basketball season until someone's feed comes, cuts out while they're watching the game. Um, but they eliminated my, my trivia question I ask every year. And hopefully you didn't remember it, so I'll catch you off guard here. But the streak continues. When was the last time Dayton lost a home opener, and who was it to? Oh, my God. You you got me with this last year. I, I did. Two years ago. I ask it every every year, and I want everyone always forgets. Um... It's been a while. It's gonna, it's gonna kill me now. <laughs> yeah, because now, now it's like now that I know that I, you're gonna say, and I'm gonna be like, shit, I know it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just go. Uh, I can't. Like, I'll go like Troy or something. Yeah, no, it's not it. Eastern Kentucky Colonels is yes. the name. Yes, yes. two thousand four. <laughs> the Dayton Flyers dropped their home opener to the Eastern Kentucky Colonels, and they haven't done it since dude let's get him out of here final thoughts for everybody on a uh, victorious night one where the flyers are one to know road to the final four started tonight let's <laughs> end it let's end it in houston it did shameless plug for the podcast friday night five o'clock we are going live for the pregame show at timothy's bar and grill you know the one right there on brown street talking out loud live pregame show we'll do a bunch of them throughout the course of the year but it's just gonna be our first one come join us happy hour from five to six thirty and then we'll head over to the arena where Dayton is poised to take on the Mustangs of SMU. Hope to see you there on Friday for Dukes. I'm Sully. This is Talking Out Loud where we have two rules. Do you remember what they are this time, Dukes? Yeah, wear red, stay loud. That's exactly right. We'll catch you then. There she stood in the street Smiling from my head to her feet I said, hey Look, what's your game, baby?